Last week we covered Romans 12 and 13. Romans 12 and 13. We, take, we took a good chunk out of it, but let's just basically, let's fast forward through 1 to, to 13 to now. And ultimately the takeaway points that we can say from 1 to 13 is that all people are saved by Jesus Christ. We all need a saviour. We were all sinners and we all needed a saviour and that is Jesus Christ. So what we've got from 12 to 16 onwards, we actually then have how do we apply that to our lives? How do we live as Christians or as people who are, have been saved by grace? You know, turn to the person next to you and say, how? How do I do that? You know, it's, like, it's so important. And Romans 14 is actually the driving force of the whole letter of Romans. So this is an important chapter that we're going we're gonna to uh, talk about here. This is actually right in my way, so I'm not pacing as much as I usually pace. Um, get my, my do-rag and start um, doing the sweat and everything. Um, but it's basically the driving force between the letter, uh, for the letter between Paul and the Roman church. Just to um, recap, the Roman church is made up of the Jewish people and the Gentile people. They've made one church together. They're the Roman church. So what's happened is, up until this time, God, uh, Paul is basically saying, we need to be on a level playing field because the Jews are saying that they are greater than the, the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are looking at the, the Jews as though you've lost it, you're, you're, you're way in the past, and that there's no salvation for you anymore. The new Gentile covenant is basically, the new covenant is not applicable to the Jews. And so, which is wrong. So what's basically 14 is, 14, chapter 14 is actually going to be highlighting the fact that because of the diverse backgrounds of the Jews and Gentiles, religious and cultural, many problems were arising that were threatening the unity of the body of the church. So we all have different backgrounds. Who grew up in Perth? Who grew up out of Perth? Like was born, you know, we have diverse backgrounds. You know, who went to a Catholic school? Who went to a public school? Who went to a private school? You know, who, who eats soggy wheat bix? Who doesn't eat soggy wheat bix? You know, they're diverse. We are all diverse. There's many of us, and we all make up the one body. So we're going to go to Romans 14, and I'm going to read it to you. But what I'm going to read is I'm only going to read sections of it because the sections I'm going to read actually encapsulate the whole of what we need to get out of here, and it's, it's a longer one. So we, we want to cherish our time together. So Romans 14, and I did something that as a Bible college student and as someone who's studied the Word for a few years, um, a few of you might say poo-poo too, um, I'm referencing the message. So anyone who knows the significance of that, um, I apologise, but this actually encapsulates and says, I guess someone's shaking their head, it's like it actually uh, breaks it down really well. And just uh, if you're taking notes or thinking about your next tattoo, um, what we're thinking about, we're going to call this our sermon, Table Talk, hence the table, yeah? Table Talk. All right, Romans 14 from the message. Cultivating good relationships. Say to the person next to you, cultivate a good relationship. Welcome with open arms, arms fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. Oh, <laughs> can I say that again? 
Welcome with open arms, fellow believers who don't see the things the way you do. There's a sermon on that alone. Who, see, who thinks that they see the th- uh, everything the way that the person next to them sees it? We see so many things differently. So many things differently. And Paul is saying the crux of Christian living, 101, straight out. Welcome with open arms, people who don't see things the way you do. If you want to mature as a Christian, you have to realize that you're not going to agree with everything the person next to you says. And that sucks. But it says, don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with. Even when it seems they're strong on opinions but weak in the faith department. Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Say this with me. Treat them gently. Let's say it one more time. Treat them gently. Treat me gently, people. I'm only 30. For instance, a person who has been around a while might well be convinced that he can eat anything on the table, while another with a different background might assume he should only be a vegetarian and eat accordingly. All my vegetarians say, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But since both are guests at Christ's table, wouldn't it be terribly rude if they failed to criticize him what the others ate or didn't eat? God, after all, invited them both to the table. Do you have any business crossing people off the guest list or interfering with God's welcome? If there are any corrections to be made or manners to be learned, God can handle that without your help. God can handle that without your help. And we're going to jump forward because this, the, the next few verses just reiterate these things. And we're going to jump forward to verses 13 to 14. It says... Forget about deciding what is right for each other. Here's what you need to be concerned about. That you don't get in the way of someone else making life more difficult than it already is. I'm convinced, Jesus convinced me, that everything as in itself is holy. We, of course, by the way, treat it or talk about it, can contaminate it. If you confuse others by making a big issue over what they eat or don't eat, you're no longer a companion with them in love, are you? These, remember, are persons, persons for whom Christ died. Would you risk sending them to hell over an item in their diet? Yeah, you should tweet that or make that your Facebook status. That's full on. Don't you dare let a piece of God-blessed food become an occasion of soul, soul poisoning. God's kingdom isn't a matter of what you put in your stomach, for goodness sake. It's what God does with your life as he sets it right, puts it together and completes it with joy. Your task is to single-mindedly serve Christ. Do that and you'll kill two birds with one stone, pleasing the God above you and proving your worth to the people around you. And then jump down to 22, this is 23. This is a takeaway for you all. Cultivate your own relationship with God, but don't impose it on others. Cultivate your own relationship with God, but don't impose it on others. Yeah, this hit, what I read hits a few main points here. But basically, what we want to highlight, and this is the, the context of it, is the table. So we have a table here. Who has a dinner table? 
He has an IKEA dinner table. He argued with their partner over which IKEA dinner table to get. Yeah, it's like, but did it divide you? No. <laughs> yeah, the table. What Paul is writing to here is there's a big issue, but he's actually writing to a situation where he saw that people were not eating together because of their indifferences. So literally the context of this letter was written to a table or people at a table or people not at the same table. The context of this letter, and this is why it's called Table Talk, was written to people who refused to sit together, refused to eat together because they what? They didn't agree with their theology. I tell you, if I didn't sit with people every time I disagreed with their theology, I would have no friends. Hard up. Oh, hard out. Hard out. Hard up means something else. But it's, um, so in Romans 14, the table is the scene of where this disunity takes place. The table is where Paul is focusing his attention, and the table is where we need to imagine. Well, so let's go back however many years it is. Imagine that this is where it is. The, the events are taking place at a table or separate tables. These people are refusing to sit together, to eat together, to commune together, to be together, to be recognized together. Who's seen Forrest Gump? Yes. And it's like, gets in the bus and it's like, you can't sit here, seat's taken. Who's seen that? that? Yeah, it's like, you can't sit here, seat's taken. Yeah, it's like, yeah, thank you. It's like, we don't want to be seen with you. That's what they're saying. I don't want to be seen with you. Sit at a different table. How petty is that? How petty? Uh, and hands up, who enjoys a good dinner party? I love dinner parties. I think that dinner parties are central to the heart of God. And next year, we're actually going to be doing a, a series called Dinner Party Theology again because we believe so much in the the. the, the the truth that actually we're invited to the table of God. So we're going to be doing another series called Dinner Party Theology. But Megs and I love it, and that's why we're actually building a church that is focusing on dinner parties. Why? Why dinner parties, or why the table? We have three points here. Go to the screen. What does the table represent? Friendship. Table represents an invitation to Friendship. If you come to my house and you sit at my dinner table, I'm inviting you into a relationship, a friendship with me. I actually think it's one of the most intimate things that you can do outside of a, a marriage. That I invite you to come and sit in my house, eat my food, and to, to commune and spend time with me. We're invited into friendship. If we then go into further on to the story of Jesus, talks about that actually Jesus, when he broke bread, he did it at a table. The Last Supper was done at a table. And those that he invited sat at the table with him. There was an intimacy there. Turn to the person next to you and say, into me you see. Is that how it's said? Intimacy. Yeah. Into me, you see? Yeah. Intimacy. 
You're saying into my soul, when you sit at my table, you, you, you get to know who I am. You don't know the things I've done. You know who I am. You get to understand why I believe what I believe, why I stand for what I stand for, why I'm trying to change my ways, why I'm, I do what I do. And if without that, we'll just throw people out all the time. How terrible would it be if we lived in a church or we were part of a church where instead of trying to get to know people and understand the God in them, we sat at a different table? I don't want to be part of that church. I want to be part of a church where we can chat, we can disagree, we can talk things through, we can grieve, we can celebrate, we can, we can get angry at each other, but we can work it through. That's the church that I want to be a part of. Because I know that not everyone agrees with me. And I don't agree with everyone. But that's not the point. Because we're invited to the table into a friendship from enemies to friends of God by Jesus. So the table represents friendship. What else does it represent? Communion. So communion is the almost very similar to friendship, but it's the communion that we actually look at, that we have been called to commune with each other, but to commune with God and to recognize and remember what God has done for us. So communion, who's ever taken the bread and the, the grape juice or the, the wine, depending on what church you came from? If you're from a Baptist church, it's definitely wine. You know, so it's not, it's not, okay. Any other church? Okay. So it's communion. We've been invited into communion. Communion in the, the sense of the physical act, the sacraments, the elements, but communion in the sense of communion was in spirit to spirit with the Holy Spirit, a.k.a. God. So we have been invited to the table for friendship with one another. We are invited to the table for communion by the Holy Spirit with God, but for nourishment. Who's ever gone to a, ta- a dinner table and they finish and be like, man, that was great food. I feel full. Oh, I really feel good after that. Or sometimes you're like, I shouldn't have had the extra piece of pizza. That extra vegan sausage just didn't go down well. Yeah, it's like, yeah, <laughs> never do. <laughs> so, at a table you eat and you feast. You are nourished. But physically, and when we're talking about the metaphorical table, we think metaphorically as well. Metaphorically in the sense of spiritually. You're nourished physically and spiritually. When we come together, we are to learn from each other, to sit down and commune, be friends, but to learn from each other. You know, when's the last time that you sat down and you said to someone, wow, so you're a teacher. Please tell me about teaching or tell me about the things that you know as a teacher. Or the last time you sat down, it's like, wow, John, you're a musician. What? Please tell me about your journey to become a musician. Or please tell me, Chris, how do you do videography so well? You know, when was the last time you actually took interest to learn from someone, someone else? Because the table is a place where we're meant to come and find friendship, to commune with each other and commune together with God, but then to be nourished by one another, physically, spiritually, physically by the food, spiritually by each other, and to learn. The table is important. And if we start looking at the situation beforehand that I was talking about, the Jews and the Gentiles were refusing to share a table together. Refusing to share a table together. So what does that tell you? 
They're refusing to break down their walls. They're refusing to learn. They're refusing to, to, to seek someone else's opinion on something. You know, um, uh, my teachers in uh, child psychology can tell me this, the theory, it's called the theory of mind. By the age of around two-ish, you start to understand that you're, you're not the only person in the world, that there's other people around you and that they have opinions. You know, I know some people who still haven't developed their theory of mind. We have to learn that other people have opinions and stories and, and backgrounds. And even though we're working out our relationship with God, someone else is working out their relationship with God. Do not impose your relationship upon someone else, but sit with them and learn together. Let's have more dinner parties, people. Dinner or lunch and breakfast as well. Uh, it's great, but... They literally decided not to eat together. So that meant that friendship, communion, and nourishment was null and void. That means that the things that they could have got, they weren't getting. So Paul comes in and flips his lid. He flips his lid. Can I get Molly, can can you come? Oh, bread in common. Wow. Can you break this bread and break it into rows? And we're going to start sharing bread together. The Jews and the Gentiles did not share the dinner table, the church picnic, the dinner party. So what happened was there, like, pretty much like here, there was a divide. There was a schism. A schism between the people, between those who believed in God because they have a difference how every believer should act, or in this case, what a believer should eat. And if we go back to the context of the Roman times, the reason why was the Jews actually struggled with what, the things that the Gentiles ate and drank. The Jews believed in kosher meat. Who's ever heard of that before? You know, kosher meat. You know, where the meat was butchered, how close it was in proximity to something else. They believed that it needed to be, uh, to be um, butchered in a way that was, um, fit their bill. Then they also refused to drink the wine that was made in Rome because there's a, a who's heard of the process called fining? You find the wine. So fining is basically the process of getting the sediment out of the wine by putting uh, basically a rock or something congealed, uh, concealed with ox blood and it gets the sediment out of the wine and you can basically pull that out and the wine has been fined. So basically, it's basically taking, uh, uh, making a pure wine. But the way that they did it was by using ox blood. And if you know the Jews, the Jews, you can go pass it around just like to, uh, to a row and just break bread, share with each other, say hey, Eat some bread. It's good. Um, Chris, we'll pass this past you because I don't know if you can have that. Uh, and just start sharing that bread with each other. You've got to break the bread. So they refused to sit with the Jews, uh, with the Gentiles, because the Gentiles ate that wine and they drank, uh, ate that uh, meat and they drank that wine. So what's basically happened is their beliefs have gotten in the way. Who's liking this sourdough bread? Who likes a cheeky bit of sourdough? That's great. (laughs) 
There were Jews who weren't tied to their cultural backgrounds. But the thing is, what we have to understand, we have to understand is that we're living in a new reality with Christ. We're living a new future with Christ. So what's happened is the Jews and the Gentiles, because of their different religious beliefs, didn't even want to sit together and create unity together. So the table is divided. The table is divided. You've got one person on one side, one person on the other. So Romans 12 to 16, like I was saying, talks about how we are to live as followers of Jesus Christ. So we need to take in what Paul is saying and what he'll continue to say here. But question, question time. Who has ever witnessed a fight at a dinner table? So they're sitting at the dinner table, they've been part of one or they've witnessed one. Hands up. How awkward is it? Pretend, more so when you're witnessing one. When you're part of it, you're like, I'm in the zone here. But like, who's ever witnessed a fight? At some point, at some point, you're going to start weighing up the arguments and choosing which side you're going to take. It's like, actually, mum makes a really good point. What dad's talking like, old school talk. But hold up, that was a great response by dad just there. I think mum has just lost the, the, the battle there. Or it's like you're, you're, you're talking about the, the, a fight between your, your brother and your sister and your brother hurt, hit you earlier in the day. And you're like, go sister, take him down. You know, it's like there's this <laughs> fights get out of hand. But this, this fights literally meant that they didn't even didn't even come to sit down at the same table to try and work things out, to try and learn, try and talk. They just avoided it. You know, you got your fights and your flights. Who's a fighter? Who's a flighter? He's like, I'm just going to get out of here. You're freeze. There's fight, fright, flight, fright, fright. (laughs) Fight, flight, freeze. All right, let's do this again. Who's a fighter? He's a flighter. He's a freezer. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Who's seen those goats that when they, they, they get scared, they freeze up? Yeah. <laughs> Effectively. Have you ever disagreed with another person's spirituality, theology, or understanding of what Christian living looks like? Hands up. Have you ever disagreed with someone else's theology? Well, sorry, you're not the first person to do so. You won't be the last. We're, we're not innocent in the slightest. And I literally know some people who don't talk to each other or have like friendships broken because of a difference in theology. I know of churches that split because the men were wearing their ties and the ties pointed down. Because they pointed down, they pointed to hell. And there's people who refuse to point, flick their ties up. And I'm not joking here, this is legit. They refuse to get the tie pin and pin it up to point to heaven. So the church split. I also know, and this is, I don't know this personally, but I read about this online and I laughed for a moment. Um, There was a a church that split over fried chicken. (laughs) So what happened was, there was two groups of people, two groups of people, or two, two ladies with their posses, you know. And basically, what ended up happening was they were at a picnic and on the ground there were two ladies who didn't like each other and they both brought fried chicken. The preacher, not knowing about this, walked up, stopped at one end of the table and 
grabbed a piece of chicken and said, this is the best fried chicken I've ever had. Who got up and left? <laughs> the other group. You're like, actually, our fried chicken is the best. The, there's a church that was 100 years strong that split because they didn't, one group of people wanted the church piano just to stay the same, just to keep fixing it up. The other people were like, no, we need a new church piano. And they split because of a church piano. Uh, sorry, not piano, a bench. A piano bench. You know, the Romans were confronted with this reality that they were divided and that their backgrounds were causing a separation in their love for one another. And Paul is saying, I want you to cultivate good relationships with one another, to love each other. And we are called to the same thing today. We're to love each other. So, question to you, like rhetorical, do you treat people with love or with reservation? Like, say you've had a disagreement or you've heard someone said something. Do you treat them with love or reservation? Are you trying to understand someone's journey or are you focused on telling them where to go? Do your actions lead towards unity or are they based in self-righteousness? You know, the smallest match, I've said this before, the smallest match can burn the biggest bridge. The smallest match, the smallest thing can test the biggest thing down. You know, but we're called to shalom. Turn to the person next to you and say shalom. Shalom, friend. Shalom means so much more than peace. Shalom means reconciliation with God. It's a covenant of shalom. Shalom is with God, with others, and with ourselves. Shalom means peace between parties. It means that the hostilities and wars have ended. It means that we have come to a place of reconciliation. It means that there is a place where our social relationships, there's no greed, oppression, or violence, but we actually want to come together and rebuild a wall that has been broken down. Then shalom with ourselves consists not only of outward peace, peacefulness, or peace with parties, it means to have that inner security that my salvation is sure. I don't need to convince people by trying to change their theology. Because theology is a mind thing, but it's actually meant to be a heart thing. We've made it a mind thing. I can fight you with knowledge, but actually it's a transformative thing. What you believe about things is going to be a heart thing. So, like I was saying, if you've ever disagreed with someone's theology, you're not the first and you're not the last. And you're going to disagree with something I say at some point. You're going to disagree. So what do we do with it? One, don't avoid the table. Turn to the person next to you and say, don't avoid the table. Value the table. Value that we can find unity at this simple, simple table, but a simple table that carries friendship, communion, and nourishment, that can carry shalom, reconciliation. Do not avoid the table. If someone's annoyed you, find a good time, not when they're feeling a little crappy. Find a good time to sit with them and talk. Don't attack. Talk. Find a place and a time, because unity is dependent on two people. It's not dependent on one person bowing the knee to the other person. What is stopping you from fellowshipping with with one another? What is causing you to not share a table with someone in your community? 
how do we fellowship with each other? How do we abide in unity? And how do we disagree yet remain in community with one another? And those are some big questions. But Paul is saying it here in Romans 14. He goes on and says, um, in the ESV, it says, for those who are weak in faith and for those who are strong in faith. So that is actually translated to those who've been around for a while. <laughs> I'm 30 now, so I've been around for a while. You know what I'm saying? But it's like those who've been mature or have had faith for a while or those who've had revelation. Sometimes we can be tied up in things of the past. But Paul is bringing in this, this comparison, says that there's going to be some people who are strong in opinion but weak in their faith. You know, I had the greatest thought about something, but they don't actually live it out. You want to find that great place where you know what you believe and you live it out. And you don't actually become affected by other people's, what other people say about you or about what you believe. That's growth. That's maturity. I'm not there yet. Hands up if you're there yet. We will never get there, this side of heaven. Maturity means that we, doesn't mean that those who are weak in faith will always be weak in faith. It means that we're walking out a journey of sanctification. We're walking out a journey where one day we'll get it. But right now, I'm still working through this thing. But tomorrow I might get it. But I'm going to be working out something else tomorrow. So I'm just going to keep walking the sanctification journey to one day. I get it. And I tell you, the one day that you will get it, you'll be in heaven with God. So that means never stop learning. Never stop loving. Never stop being open to change. Yeah. So what do I mean? What does this mean in our context? Because back in the day, their struggle was with those who were drinking wine and eating meat. That was the Jews' struggle, and that was one of the major points of the schism between them. But also the elitism and the ethnic um, elitism that we talked about earlier that says, we're Jews, you're not, we're the better ones, effectively. So, so what does that now mean for us in our context nowadays? You know, if you are strong in faith, don't judge those who aren't. Or who still figuring things out. If you've got things sorted, let them say, this is between me and God. We are one body and I will walk this out with God. We have to have this. And there's place for godly wisdom. Like in all this, there is place for godly wisdom. But you have to be invited to bring godly wisdom. You have to be invited into someone's life to bring godly wisdom. We have to have a position of love. You may be working something out but I'm not going to come at you and you're not going to come at me we're going to love we're going to put love first and we're going to work things out when the time is right when the opportunity arises so we're different but we're the same different in beliefs but same in Jesus Christ different in how we live but the same in who is our saviour and that is where the, the table unites we all sit at the table Chris, you want to come? You're a Jew. Come sit here, Chris. Seems to me. Come sit here, Chris. Molly, you're a gentle. Come sit here. And I'm Jesus. Yeah, that's right. We are all invited. 
our, our theology is different bit there. Well, um, you did claim to be Jesus. I, I did claim to be Jesus. So. <laughs> you know, the kingdom is found at the table. The kingdom is made up of righteousness, peace and joy. Righteousness comes from Jesus alone. Peace comes from the Holy Spirit. And joy comes from outworking that peace 